Welcome to a healthcare podcast by Virtual Health, an ongoing discussion on topics we feel are making a big impact on our individual and collective health. On the show, we engage with guests and listeners to explore and help clarify complex healthcare matters through active conversation. This is Ty McDonald, your host, and thanks for tuning in. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. We're very happy to have today as our first guest, Ivelisse Andino, CEO and founder of Radical Health, a community health organization Ivelisse started in the Bronx, which provides community support and custom technology, empowering individuals in marginalized populations to, quote, become engaged partners in healthcare and to become change agents in addressing disparities in their neighborhoods. In this episode, we learn more about Ivelisse's background and her mission at Radical Health. Thank you, Ivelisse, for being on the show, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Here we go. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for yes. having me. Then can you just introduce yourself and, and say who you are and what you're doing? Sure. So I'm Ivelisse Sandino, the founder and CEO of Radical Health, and I have the privilege of working to address health disparities in historically marginalized communities. Um, the beautiful thing that we get to do is we get to do work with communities through organizing, co-creation, and then we get to use technology to really help folks have equitable, just access to health, um, and specifically looking at health through the social determinant of health lens. So making sure that folks, as they're defining, or as they're looking at health, that we're looking at health really holistically, that it's not just the clinical experience, but where people live, what they're eating, what their experiences, um, and some of the systemic inequalities that are affecting their day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. So things that are happening outside the doctor's office, so to speak, uh, more sort of fundamental lifestyle realities that are then affecting people's health for for better or worse. Exactly. So, I mean, if you have diabetes and you need to go in regularly for a checkup or insulin, um, you it might be really hard to make that appointment if you're about to be evicted. Yeah. Um, and your first priority is how am I going to pay my rent or how am I going to stay in this apartment? And so when we look at all of those other environmental factors, so paying rent, food, um, incarceration, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have someone that's locked up and you have to travel three hours each way to see them, plus you're putting extra money in their commissary just so they can eat or call home, like that's going to impact your health. Yeah. Um, Significantly. Yeah. And, and so, so as Radical Health, as an organization, you create a conversation, a collaboration with the community. So can you walk me through a little bit more about how that, how that works? Sure. We really believe in offline, online kind of communication. Sure. And so what we get to do is we work in communities. Um, we're across New York City right now. So in the Bronx, in Brownsville, Bushwick and Bed-Stuy, Washington Heights. Um, and we really work at the intersection of where there's poverty and incarceration, Mm -hmm. and we get to hold conversations with folks. Um, We meet them where they are, so we're in community centers, we're in schools, we're in apartment complexes, and we get to chat with them about what what does health even mean to them, what are the things that they need, what have been their experiences. Um, We then get to add a layer onto that where we do trainings for 
people in positions of power, so service providers, um, be it doctors or residents, teachers, lawyers, and we get to have the same conversation with them so that they can begin to understand some of the complexities. Uh, that a parent isn't showing up to a PTA meeting not because they don't care or you know they don't want to be involved, but because they might have to work or because they're exhausted, honestly, right. from working two to three jobs and struggling to pay rent. And so we get to do those two workshops and trainings. Um, and then we get to add technology into that. So. We have a platform right now that prepares folks for when they have to have those clinical encounters. So before you go in for an appointment, we let you know this is what's going to happen. These are questions and topics that your doctor um, or provider is going to bring up. But then while we're there, we can text with folks and there we give them questions to ask. Um, so really just to make sure that they have, again, an equitable and just experience. Gotcha. So, so you're preparing them for the appointment. You're kind of counseling them through and after the appointment. Right. So you're sort of a, a guide or an advocate for the folks that are involved in your program. Right. And we look at it as we get to take folks who have had lived experiences yeah. and just replicate that over and over again. So the same way, you know, I can tell you what it's like, um, you know, to go in and, and have uh, a checkup, you know, daily. Um, and I get to then share that and, and replicate that over and over again. Great. And then how do you how do you determine uh, who is involved or can you walk me through sort of the approach if you're going to a new neighborhood or, or area? What is like from start to finish? How does it look for you? Yeah. So we get to, again, we identify our neighborhoods, um, mm -hmm. through historically marginalized. And so what that means are it's traditionally folks of color, um, folks who have, are living in high rates of poverty, yep. um, immigrant, undocumented, LGBTQI, those are disabilities. So that's really where we first start out. Mm -hmm. Um, those that have also been incarcerated and or impacted by the justice system. And then we will hold a workshop. So we'll usually have what we call a community conversation yep. and we get to talk about just what's happening. We get to open up and create a really safe space where folks can share um, what's on their mind, what they need um, and where things are going from there. And then um, depending on who we're working with, we might have a similar conversation with uh, the providers in the area. So if this is at a school, we're talking with the teachers and the social workers and the principals. If it's at a clinic, we're talking with the doctors and the residents and the front desk staff mm -hmm. and having a very similar conversation of what does it mean? We call it um, healing for healers. Yeah. But what does it mean to be in a position where you're dealing with like the constant pressure and stress of serving a population that is historically underserved? Right. Um, and then we get to either have another group where folks come together or we then onboard our community folks onto our platform. Um, so right now we're working with pregnant women. So mm -hmm. women who are about to be pregnant or currently pregnant get to sign on and we get to ask them all the questions, but really be a support for them. Gotcha. So you have your own technology. Correct. Gotcha. Yes. So you, uh, using pregnancy as an example, that mm -hmm. the population of, of pregnant women in a certain uh, community or, or, or uh, area, mm -hmm. and they use the radical health technology to then basically walk through um, the healthcare system with right. and connect them with the appropriate community resources so that they can have a good experience exactly. and they're not left in the dark. Right. And so what we get to do is you go in and let's say you're 12 weeks pregnant and this is going to be your first appointment. We let you know that they're going to, you might not get a sonogram on your first mm -hmm. appointment. Um, 
it's usually unlikely, um, but we get to tell them about what's going to happen. We also guess one step before that, we do you have insurance is the question. And so at least in New York City, um, when you are pregnant, you are eligible for insurance regardless of your documentation status. Um, um, anything. Yep. And so we help you get insurance or we send you to the appropriate uh, resource that would get you insured. Sure. Um, but then, you know, do you have a provider that you like and trust? And, you know, we can send you to the resource that does that. And then once you're set up, um, you know, then we kind of walk you through what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. at that first appointment, um, they're going to ask you your, your, family history. They're going to ask you super personal questions, maybe about drug use um, and all of that. And I think in our communities, it's important that you know what you're getting into. Um, but then we can also, we also prompt the questions that you should ask. So, I mean, one, like, does your doctor even speak your language? Yeah. Um, and if they don't, you're entitled to some translation or even another provider. Um, but beyond that, you know, you want to ask questions specifically, we're talking about pregnancy, you know, what is the cesarean rate? You know, what is, what are the rest of my appointments look like? Will you be the provider that will deliver my baby or will it be someone else? Right. And I think those are all really important questions. Um, at least when we look at the mortality rate of women, especially women, black women, um, in New York city, um, who are dying 15 to one compared to white women, um, through childbirth or after childbirth. And so it's really important that at least in this um, segment and in all segments that we use our voice and, and that everyone feels comfortable advocating for themselves or a loved one. Yeah. What a wonderful service. And, and how has the, the feedback been from people that are involved? It has been uh, like, I still get goosebumps <laughs> um, because what we're seeing is that these are not, especially in our communities when we're struggling, I mean, to live, this is a fight to live. Mm. Um, when you're struggling, you don't often have the space to talk about, um, your needs or even what you're experiencing. I think a lot of that is also rooted in fear. You're afraid of, you know, what if, like, what is this, you know, what if, what happens if, you know, I don't make it full term or what's going to happen? And you then become, you're at the mercy of a system that, yep. you know, can be overburdened and not, yeah prepared to serve you. Um, I think also there's a lot of fear and trauma when we look at the history of health, um, kind of across the board, but especially in, um, women's health and reproductive health, um, where women have been sterilized without their consent. Mm. I mean, even now when we have mothers being ripped away from their babies, Mm. like history has not done a good job of supporting us. And so, um, in this moment, it's incredibly impactful and important that we come together as people, but that then we can help one another out, um, either through our experiences or our privileges. Absolutely. And, and so how did you end up, how did you get into this? How was this your mission? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in the Bronx. Yeah. Um, and fun facts about the Bronx, right? Um, the poorest congressional district in the United States um, for many, many, many years. Uh, and, you know, just the stuff that you hear about in the stories, um, I want to say that it's not all true. Amazing things come from the Bronx, but it definitely was um, a space that, you know, you grew up with a lot of challenges. And that kind of framed, you know, my outlook. And so I wanted nothing more than to make it in corporate America, pull myself up by my bootstraps and, um, I don't know, move to the suburbs. (laughs) But, um, in that journey, I 
landed a job working for pharmaceutical companies, and I got to train physicians and researchers on new therapeutics and oncology that were being um, released. Mm -hmm. So I got to launch some really fun uh, drugs like Avastin, Tarceva, and Herceptin, which are like big blockbusters in the oncology world. Um, And at the same time, I was still living in the Bronx, and my mother was diagnosed with cancer. I'm sorry. Thank you. And so it was a really tough time because I got to see uh, the duality Um, in the world. And so by day I'm managing a couple of million dollars in a budget. And at night I'm at a hospital room, like not knowing what to do, but also struggling to pay my mom's light bill. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like about $65. And so in that moment it was really like, wow, this is definitely a tale of two worlds, a tale of two cities and um, something just wasn't right. And um, that kind of was the catalyst to to really say, you know, what happens when we transform health and more so when we change it from a paternalistic where at the top there are folks making decisions that in no way incorporate, reflect the people that are impacted the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so radical health really um, was uh, yeah, the change agent really to say, let's unite as a community and yeah. um, Less more, less than you know. Let's have a seat at a table. Let's build this table, but let's build it from the ground up yeah. and invite everyone else yes. um, who wants to come along for this ride. Yeah, that's so great. I think that one of the things that intrigues me the most about it is that it promotes teamwork and accountability at the at the community level. You know, mm-hmm. you're making the you're making an effect in your immediate area where you can, and that's where it has to happen. I think for for serious change to be made. What are you hoping to see? in the future as you continue to build radical health? Yeah, I hope to see a few things. I think I really want to see folks that don't have the traditional pedigree of a healer take Mm. more healing roles. Um, And I mean that, you know, we hire locally. So our facilitators um, come from the neighborhoods in which we're serving. That's great. We do that intentionally, one, to like reinvest, right? When we look at the biggest like denominator, it's poverty. So how can we reinvest? Um, but two, I think there's a movement um, and even like a, a challenge that I would say to challenge folks to get back to their indigenous roots. Yeah. Um, as a human species, we've endured a lot. Um, and I think that in a commoditized world where health is commoditized, we often forget um, some of our indigenous practices, where it's whether it's oils or natural roots or even food mm-hmm. as as the opportunity to heal. Sure, um, relationships. Yeah, relationships, yeah. community, sharing, yeah. you know, together. Yeah. Um, and so I really want to see kind of a return to that. Um, and I think just more folks that are directly impacted, um, and even if they don't have all the letters at the back of their name, kind of in this seat that I'm in right now, being able to talk about what's really happening right. um, from where they're from their vantage point. Right. And to humanize it more, I think, is essential. Because even for you know folks that work in healthcare, I think there is sort of a an esoteric nature to your healthcare bills or even going to the doctor's office or setting up an appointment, there's something that feels uh, sort of hard to access. And so we don't, we, th- we keep it, we keep it elsewhere. But mm-hmm. what I love about this conversation and what you're working on is that it's, again, it's back to the personal accountability to invest your time and, and energy into your own community and your own family and your na- neighborhood to, to make it, uh, more of a thing that you can control and at least improve. And, and I think what you're doing that's so great is the, the education component and the kind of, um, 
the the guidance that you're providing and the tool that you're providing so that all of a sudden it doesn't feel so so hard to understand right and that's it's amazing it's great great work and thank you for thank you thanks for doing it and thanks for telling us a little bit more about it um could you talk more about because I saw that on the website, three trillion spent primarily on quote sick care. Just for listeners who maybe don't understand what that means, can you give us an overview of sick care versus other types of care? Yeah, so sick care is when you have the flu and it's ten o'clock at night and mm-hmm. your doctor's not open. That's also provided you have a doctor that you can reach and that doesn't make you wait, you know, 12 hours just to answer the phone. Um, but that's when you're headed to the emergency room, um, and you spend thousands of dollars, or at least your insurance has billed thousands of dollars for that. Um, there are other instances where we just wait until we're sick. We're Mm -hmm. sick to seek care. Um, I know myself personally, like I'm not rushing to the doctor, um, for any little thing because my deductible or the amount that I'm going to pay is too high. So I'm going to wait until I can't take it anymore. Um, and I think that's where we're spending all of our money. Um, I think the alternative is when we are in community with our providers and they know us and we can do preventative stuff. Mm -hmm. So the idea that, you know, my whole theory, which is radical, hence the radical health is that imagine a space where your doctor lives on your block and you're seeing your doctor at the coffee shop, at the library, at the supermarket, so that the day that you're feeling lightheaded and maybe you're a little pale, your doctor knows you mm-hmm. and can say, oh, wow, like you really don't look so well. Like, you know, maybe you should rest. But then you're anticipating um, kind of what's happening before it's too late, before, right. you know, it's high blood pressure, diabetes, or something way more chronic. Right. Um, and so our idea is, you know, what would happen if we did a lot of that preventative stuff? Instead of spending $3 trillion, I mean, we could put a doctor in an apartment and pay their salary, I mean, yeah. f- for significantly less. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we look at the United States, we're spending all this money on unnecessary surgeries, on and just really trying to like bandage what's happening rather than even seek out the root cause right. and heal fully. Right. So rather than allowing a chronic disease to develop, go back to the root, what types of behaviors are causing you to even get to a point where that could be a reality? And then starting, starting there, as you said, preventative so that these bad outcomes don't occur 10, 15 years down the line. Right. And I think that that's like, you can see that very clearly in housing. Right. So if you're living, you know, in an apartment, um, that is ran by a slumlord and you have vermin and rodents and you're stressed out, like you're, you're going to see health outcomes from that. Mm -hmm. And so how can we look at the root of what's happening and, and then support people in that? Yeah. I saw on the website, the premise of a restorative circle. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about what that is? Perfect. (laughs) Uh, So the restorative health circles is based on indigenous practice where you would meet around a fire and celebrate a birth, mourn a death, handle disputes, Mm -hmm. um, if you're thinking, you know, amongst tribes or even within your community. And so it's been around for centuries and centuries. I mean, again, well before I'm here. And what we do with restorative health circles is we get to come around the circle, both as like people, um, but also as providers um, and talk about 
what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, We address harms that have been caused by a system. And so as people who have been harmed by a system, we can talk about that, share the the woes, but also the things that have worked. And for providers too, I think um, it's important to note that the healthcare system is not just working for people on the receiving end of care, but also for providers. Mm -hmm. I think we're incredibly quick to say this doctor did this and that doctor did that. But what we don't realize is that for at least the doctors that are serving Medicaid and Medicare populations, they have 15 minutes for a visit. They are in a system that, again, is inherently racist and abusive and oppressive, um, and they're also on the receiving end of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... In circle, we get to hold space for the folks that are healing as well, where they can process and talk about what they need. Got and it. it's a really beautiful way to use indigenous practice in a current day um, to heal. Got it. And so this is a service that's uh, provided to mem- your members? What, what do you call the people that use your platform? People. Yeah, our people. So, But do they have to have a, an account or a... Like, how does it work? Yeah. So the way that this actually works is that we work with nonprofits or organizations who hire us to come in and provide this as a service. So um, medical institutions can do this. People, we can do, we do this individually and offer it up to the communities. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is something that we, we create on our own, but then also in partnerships with other organizations to provide it for their, um, either constituents or their staff. Okay. Got it. And so the restorative circle portion would just be like an, a scheduled event for a particular set of people. Exactly. Got it. And anybody, it's open to anybody who's in the umbrella. So right. And so they're super niche depending on what's happening. Right. So we've done this for um, young kids that are concerned about gun violence in their communities mm-hmm. and wanting a space to talk about that. We've done them for first year residents who are working with um, undocumented families and those that are victims of child abuse. And so being able to create space for them there. Um, right. We, it can be as tailored or as wide. We do community yeah. circles often where we just come in and talk. Sure. Got it. That's great. That, I mean, I would imagine that that level of support for someone who's going through that is the first step at even having a chance of, of processing it and, and, and moving forward, you yeah. know, proactively. Yeah. And so we have an 87% engagement rate. Mm -hmm. So folks who have attended one of our workshops will attend at least eight. Um, and this is again, geographically, this is the most, the hardest to reach population. Um, again, folks who don't typically come out, don't show up, um, can be considered, I'm using quotes, unreliable, um, but they are engaged. Mm -hmm. And so we attribute a lot of our success to being on the ground, mirroring our community and providing something that has not been offered. Yeah. That's great. And to see that feedback must be encouraging. Oh yeah. I mean, I still can't believe that I get to, for a job, for my living, I get to live out a dream that I thought was unattainable. Mm -hmm. I mean, in many ways, like, you know, I, I know what it was like to go through a really troubling experience personally. And to think that here I am all these years later, um, kind of living it out, yeah. it's, it really is humbling and I'm just blessed to really be in this yeah. position. What's your biggest challenge or some of your biggest challenges as you're building this company? There are, <laughs> the challenge question is a tough, well, not even a tough one. It's yeah. an easy one, but 
the, I mean, I am a Latina, I am, uh, identify as a woman and I'm starting a public health tech company. Mm. So the challenges, I guess, I mean, they go on and on and on, mm. but I think one, um, we're the first Latina B Corp in New York city. We have had the troubles of like starting an organization with very limited capital. I do not come from a wealthy family. Um, I don't have, you know, folks that were able to invest in me and right. invest in this vision. So we've had to like hustle and scrape and do whatever we needed to do to get this started. Um, so being able to fund this, um, has been challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, we're at a great place where we're profitable and we're generating revenue now, Good for you. but not without blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, so I think that's definitely one. I think the other, you know, challenge is again being one of the few women of color in a space that is heavily white male dominated. Like yeah. health, um, we're seeing more and more people rise up, and that thrills me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still very much um, a space that's really hard to to create the kind of change I want to see in the in a timely fashion. Right. Right. Well, it's your work is is commendable, and I'm happy to hear that you're getting traction and and more momentum as you go. Thank you. Um, it's obviously an important issue that we all need to be talking about. So we're certainly happy to. I'm certainly happy to be spreading the word about about radical health. Great, thank you so much, Ty. This has been amazing, oh, and yeah. I'm really happy to like have this conversation. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate Great. it. And Anytime. hopefully, we can do it again. Anytime. I'm here. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to a healthcare podcast by Virtual Health. This is Ty McDonald, your host. See you next time.